families do life together. And the table is a place that we are reminded that we are together as a family. And when we do life together, we at times grieve with one another, as we did this week at a memorial service that we had. Uh, We also celebrate when different things happen together as well. And we have a celebration, and we want to announce a couple that I know are a little shy, but I'm going to have them just stand. They're up in the balcony. And that is Roland Godlinski and Juliet Renee's. They are getting married in May, and we just want to say congratulations to you. If you're wondering if you could attend the wedding, it's in the Philippines. Uh, And so it's going to be a bit of a ways away from here. But uh, we can certainly say congratulations to them after the service. Psychologists studying human nature have come to the conclusion that every single one of us suffers from something called illusory superiority. Illusory superiority is when a person overestimates their qualities in relation to other people's qualities. So, for instance, in a classic 1977 study, 94% of professors rated themselves as above average in relation to their peers. In another study, 32% of employees in a software company said that they performed better than 19 out of 20 of their colleagues. In a similar survey, 87% of Master of Business Administration students at Stanford rated their academic performance as above the medium. Now, some people have criticized these statistics because they're all American-based statistics, and they have said that we all know Americans have grandiose ideas about themselves. As Canadians, we know we are better at not thinking we are better. We are proudly humble. For instance, when it comes to driving, 98% of Canadians say they are polite drivers. And while I wasn't able to find a stat for this, I am sure Americans would agree with us on that. We are all better parents, we are all better lovers, we are all better thinkers, and we are even better Christians than everybody else around us. We see what the referee doesn't see. We know the author is wrong before we've even read the book. And everybody else's soup has too much salt in it. And why are teachers so dumb? If you want to study this phenomena for yourself, just watch professionals and how they'll react with other professionals around them. I have lost count of how many times I'm with a friend of mine who's a doctor, and someone will come by and they'll have their arm in a cast, and the first thing the doctor friend of mine will say is they'll look at it and say, that wasn't cast right. The painter comments on the poor job of the previous painter. 
The electrician tells you that the previous electrician didn't know what he was doing. The drywaller knows that the other drywallers rushed their work. And the computer programmer is baffled by the stupidity of other programmers. And whenever I hear another preacher, I always know I can do a better job. It's called illusionary superiority. And we all suffer from it. It's not limited, however, to just Americans or Canadians. For 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples suffered with this same disease. It came up several times in Jesus' ministry. In fact, one of the times that we read about it is in Luke chapter 22. And there we read about the disciples who began to argue amongst themselves as who was the greatest among Jesus' disciples. Think about that. It's like a soccer team getting together and everybody on the team arguing, I'm a better player than you are. No, I'm the best player on the team. No, I'm. That's what they were doing. Jesus then told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lord it over people. And yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like the servant. And then speaking of the table, Jesus says, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Obviously, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Not in my kingdom. For I am among you as one who serves. Jesus serving at the table, rather than sitting at the table, was Jesus flipping the table. Turning things on their head in the way the world normally thinks about life. Jesus is saying that unlike the way things work in the world of leaders, in the world of everyday governance and business... In his age, serving is greater than being served. But like most of us today, one lesson is never enough for a truth to sink in. And so Jesus had to repeat this over and over again to the point that even at the Last Supper, Jesus, once again, one of the last things that Jesus left with his disciples was another reminder of this truth. And not just speaking about it, but Jesus enacted it in front of them. In John chapter 13, we read, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. 
when Jesus came to Simon Peter, uh, Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. But Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what it meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe, again sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This scene from Jesus' life is a scene that happens at what we refer to as the Last Supper. The meal in which Jesus brought his disciples together, the last meal that Jesus had before his death on the cross. A meal that we reenact as a church here at Bethany once a month when we partake of the communion elements like we just did to remind ourselves of the death of Jesus and of the oneness in which Jesus has brought his people together. At this meal, before the meal took place, is when this account that I just read happened. Now you see, washing feet can seem pretty strange to us. I don't uh, know about you, but I wash my own feet. And it's a good thing because my kids say my feet are pretty gross. When I took that picture, I um, asked Kelly if I could borrow her camera. So, or her phone, so I could take a picture, and she said, sure, what for? And I said, I need to take a picture of my feet for my sermon. So she's like, oh, okay, so she gives me her phone, and then I took my socks off right there in her office, and she said, in here? <sighs> feet are kind of icky a little bit. Uh, but in Jesus' day, washing other people's feet was a common practice. For people wore feet. Sandals as their footwear, and the roads and the paths in which people walked were extremely dusty. For those of you that have been to Cameroon to Ndu with me, you know what dusty roads are like. And you know that walking around in Cameroon and Ndu in sandals, how dirty your feet will get. And so what would happen is that when you entered a person's house, you took off your sandals, and there'd be water, and there'd be a towel in which you would have your feet washed before you entered the home. Either a servant or often the host of the house would be the one that would wash your feet. The idea, besides just getting your feet clean, the idea was a way to honor your guest. 
saying, you are a guest in my house. I am here to serve you, to honor you. You are a special person. And so before you even entered the home, just as you uh, started to come across the threshold, your feet would be washed. But this is where everything goes wrong with this story. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the leader. The disciples are the ones who are the followers. The disciples are the ones who are the learners. And yet in the story, it's Jesus who does the washing. It's this story that has caused many in church history to criticize the Pope as Jesus' representative. Where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the Pope has his disciples kiss his ring. And yet we must be careful that our arrogance of being better than this doesn't cause us to fall into the same trap. The passage begins by telling us Jesus' motive for why he did what he did. It starts in John 13. Jesus now loved his disciples to the very end. Or it could also be translated, and if you have an NLT, you'll see the footnote that gives you this alternative translation that says, Jesus showed them, his disciples, the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. Certainly this refers to the cross that is coming. But it also refers specifically to this situation right here. Jesus is showing the full extent of his love by serving his disciples. And in order for us to really understand how significant this is, we need to know who the person of Jesus is. John reminds us once again, he says here that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. In that, Jesus had come from God and would return to God. So think about that. Think about how John starts off with the prologue about in the beginning was the word, was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. And Jesus became human among us. And here it says Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. That's more than Jesus just realizing that he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, and these are his disciples. Jesus knows that God the Father has given him authority over absolutely everything, and that he has come from the Father, and that he is going to go from to the Father. So this is absolutely astonishing. Jesus didn't accidentally enact what he did because he didn't have an understanding of who he was. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He had ultimate authority. He was the ultimate ruler, the sovereign, the supreme, the leader, the chief, the absolute, the big cheese. The only worthy response to Jesus is to fall on your face and worship. Submission. 
Jesus knew this about himself. And yet, and yet, instead of demanding service, it says Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. It's uh, such an ultimate contrast. Jesus knew the full authority that he had from the Father over everything, that he was in charge of it all, everything was in service to him, and then all of a sudden, the drama slows down almost painfully to help us feel possibly the discomfort of the disciples as it line by line painstakingly goes through everything Jesus did. The ultimate, the one in whom all things are under his authority got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had. Why? All the description. They could have just said Jesus got up and washed the disciples' feet. But it slows the drama down. It must have been extremely uncomfortable for the disciples to be part of the, that. Just as it is almost uncomfortable reading it at that slow kind of pace. And see Jesus doing each and every one of those actions. And knowing in our heart, this is so wrong. This isn't the way it should be. Jesus got up from the table. And served. It also implies the fact that Jesus got up from the table. That everybody was already at the table. At least Jesus was. Which raises the question. How come when everybody got into this house. No one's feet were washed. Everybody was just sitting around there with stinky feet. No one was willing to designate themselves as the official foot washer. And so somehow that right just sort of got forgotten and everybody was sitting around the table. And maybe that's what was going through people's mind too. My feet weren't washed. And nobody else's feet were washed. You know, Nathaniel should be doing this. I'm, I'm sure it's Thomas's turn. I don't remember the last time Thomas washed people's feet. I did the dishes last time. Certainly Matthew could wash the feet this time. I haven't seen Simon wash feet in forever. Why doesn't he get up and do it? And while everybody is wondering and thinking and looking at each other, remembering some of their conversations from earlier journeying about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, certainly whoever is the greatest in Jesus' disciples isn't the foot washer, and all waiting to figure out who is going to do this, Jesus got up from the table. Jesus took off his robe. 
Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus poured water into the basin. And Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. And Jesus dried them with the towel that he had. Jesus is enacting the creed in Philippians chapter 2 that throughout the season of Lent, we as a congregation recited every Sunday. That Jesus, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus being in very nature God. Jesus knowing that all authority was his. That everything was subjected to him. Did not use that to his own advantage. Made himself nothing. And became a servant. And washed his disciples' feet. As Jesus got up from the table, would his disciples have remembered that earlier conversation from the time they walked along the road when Jesus said, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Of course, the right answer in the way you operate in the systems of this world is the one who sits at the table, but not with me. Because I am among you as the one who serves. And I'm certainly not the least. In my kingdom, the table's flipped. In my kingdom, it's the ones who serve that are the ones who lead. Now, would the disciples have understood this? Obviously, not in the moment that this happened. Because Jesus even says to Peter, who often represents the ideas of all of the disciples, you do not understand what I am doing to you right now. But one day you will. That's a theme all throughout John. You're not getting it right now, but you will. So much of this will come together when I rise from the dead and when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to illuminate your understanding. Right now you're not getting all of this. And in they're not getting it, in typical Peter fashion, Peter impulsively jumps to conclusions. And usually when we jump to conclusions, we are incorrect in our conclusions. And so Peter immediately jumps up and says, no way, Jesus. You're not serving me. You're not washing my feet. I understand how this thing works out and that, and there's no way that you should be the one washing feet. But Peter misses it. He doesn't get it. See, Peter's still thinking in terms of how this world operates. He still hasn't understood the way Christ's kingdom operates. And so he's misguided in his thinking. 
In Jesus' kingdom, it's the one who serves who's more important. Therefore, Peter, Jesus says, if I let you wash my feet, then you will be elevated over me. But in my kingdom, the one who serves is the one who's higher. And therefore, Peter, I will wash your feet. Because you see, it's not about you serving God. But it's about God serving you. That almost seems uncomfortable to say it. But really, that's at the heart of the biblical message. That it's not about us serving God. It's about God serving us. And doesn't that go against everything that we think about? Even today, even in our churches today. And yet the scripture's clear on this. We cannot get right with God by serving him. We cannot become the creators of our own salvation. Instead, rightness with God comes when we surrender to God serving us. When we surrender to what God is willing to do. As long as we continue to be like Peter and say, no God, you're not doing that in my life. No, you're not serving me that way. As long as we do that, we continue to resist. Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. That's a strong statement. Peter, unless you let me serve you, you cannot have a part of me. We cannot wash ourselves and clean our own life and then come to God. I've heard many people who have said that to me. I just need to get my life sorted out first and then I'll come to God. But that's backwards. We must let God do the washing. And so, as impulsive people are prone to do, uh, they have a knee-jerk reaction and they go to the other extreme. And they're wrong once again. And that's what Peter does. He then jumps up and says, okay then, if that's the way it is, don't wash my feet, Lord. Wash every bit of me. Wash my whole body, my hands, my feet, my my head, everything. To which Peter, or to which Jesus replies to Peter and says, Peter, you still don't get it. You don't need a bath, Peter. You've already had that. You're already one of my people. You just need your feet washed. Remember, and I I can't repeat this too often, that in the Gospel of John, Jesus continually takes everyday things and uses those everyday things as pictures of much greater realities. He takes everyday literal concepts, but means them beyond their literalness. So what's going on here is Jesus is not talking about Peter already having taking a literal bath. He's not saying, Peter, I know earlier this morning you had a shower. You already had a bath. You don't need a bath anymore. You only need to have your feet washed. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, if that's what Jesus is talking about, his meaning would be absurd. Because Jesus says, Peter, you've already had a bath. Those that have had a bath no longer need a bath. 
If Peter took that literally, I'm not sure his wife would be very impressed. Or Peter's friends. Peter, take a shower. It's not what Jesus was meaning. Jesus wasn't talking about literal baths. Even the foot washing is not to be taken literally, which is why we don't continue to wash feet today like they did back then. We live in a different culture. Yet, Jesus literally washed Peter's feet, but to teach us a greater truth that goes beyond the literal historical situation. What Jesus appears to be saying here is that once you've aligned yourself with Christ, once you and Christ are on the same team together, once Christ has invited you to be part of his people, you don't have to keep doing that over and over and over again. Like in the church that I grew up as a kid where I had accepted Jesus into my heart about 27 times by the time I was 14. Because I just kept wondering, did the last time really count? Did I really mean it? Did I not mean it? Was I sincere? Was I not sincere? Maybe I'll go forward and just do it one more time just in case. And see, that gets it all mixed up because that puts all the onus on me. Was I sincere enough? Was I true enough? Was I thinking about, did I understand enough? Did I this, this, this? Where the emphasis is not there, the emphasis is on what God has done. Which is why when we make that public declaration of being in Christ when we get baptized, we don't get baptized over and over and over again. It's once. It happens once. We don't need to be baptized over and over again. It's a once, one-time act that Jesus does, not repeatedly, where he takes us into himself. We become part of his people. And we need to remember to place the emphasis there. It's not about how I feel in the moment. It's not about how dependent it is on how well I work for Jesus or accomplish certain goals. It's not about the fervency of my prayer life. It's not about the ability for me to maintain good feelings. It's not about me never having any doubts or struggles. Because the focus is always on what God has done, not me. That you are in Christ because he washed you. He accomplished it and he finished it. Despite the stuff of life that comes your way, you are secure in him. And yet Jesus brought us into this new family for a purpose. And that is, as Jesus demonstrates, our purpose is to, like him, wash the feet of others. Our purpose is to serve others. And this part is the ongoing act of what it means to be a Christian. That though we are once brought into God's family, and that is totally a work of God... 
Yet, Jesus continues to cleanse us from our sin. Jesus continues to rescue us from that final enemy, death. Jesus continues to fix our unstable relationships. Jesus continues to stomp Satan into the ground. And Jesus continues to empower us with gifts so that we can serve and love other people. This is called, what theologians use the term, sanctification. The iConnect have been learning about sanctification in their Sunday school classes. And so we are washed once. We are cleansed once, and this is a work of God. This is what Paul says when he writes, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. And no one can boast about it. See, the wonderful thing about that is that takes right out of the equation all of the bantering that was going on with Jesus' disciples or disciples throughout any time in any church that there's nothing to boast about. It wasn't the fact that you were better than me or you were stronger, you doubted less, you worked harder, you prayed more. You, it's a work of God. The only reason why you and me or anybody else is in a relationship with God in Christ is by grace. God has done the work. It's not from yourself. So no one can boast. And yet, that same passage of scripture goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So on the one hand, we are washed. We are clean. It is totally a work of God. That doesn't have to happen over and over and over again. Which is why Jesus says that to Peter. Peter, you've been washed. It's by grace, not by you. But now let me wash your feet. Because washing feet is something that is going to be an ongoing act. Because I'm going to continue to work out the reality of my salvation in you, and by doing this act, I'm modeling to you what it means to be one of my children. And that is you are saved by grace, not by works, but you are saved to now go and do good works. You are now to be a foot washer. You are now to go and wash the feet which God prepared in advance for you to do. This is the ongoing work of God. And it is modeled to us that this is what a washed person in Jesus looks like and smells like. They wash the feet of others. That's why Jesus says, since I, Jesus, am your Lord and teacher, and I've washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. And so one of the last messages Jesus gave his disciples before his cross is, do as I have done. 
For we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And again, like I said, this does not mean or is not meant to be taken literally in the fact that we need to now all go from here and we need to start literally washing people's feet. You need to go door to door, knock on their door, somebody answers the door and you say, hi, I'm a Christian, I'm from Bethany Baptist Church, I was just wondering if I could wash your feet. That's not what Jesus is saying and that's not even going to be very effective. Now, some people in Christ's name will very literally be doing this. Some people who work in care homes, some people who work in hospitals, they will be washing people's feet. And if they can begin to understand how they can do that to God's glory, they very much can enact that. But for most of us here, it will look quite different. But it will be the same principle. It's enacted by the way that we put others ahead of ourselves. How we sacrifice our time, how we sacrifice our money, how we sacrifice our homes, how we sacrifice our abilities for other people ahead of ourselves. The way that we speak well of others and wish well of others in their presence and outside of their presence, rather than speaking ill or wishing ill of other people. It's when we willingly take other place so that other people can shine. It's when we are willing to concede to not always having the right or the last word in a conversation. Jesus knew that we needed regular reminders to wash feet to combat our illusory superiority. Because we all have it, and there's nothing like the ultimate one washing feet, serving us to remind us that illusory superiority is not the way of the kingdom of God. And these illusions need to be destroyed so that I can start seeing reality. Paul himself showed how arrogance is at the root of so much church division. The history of, of, I'm teaching some church history stuff to the youth right now. And we are talking today a bit about the splits and the splits and the splits. And and, and all the different many denominations. And unfortunately, a lot of what's behind it is arrogance. Everyone unwilling to concede to anyone else. And it started right at Corinth. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Which is a very unfortunate thing. I had to talk to you as though you belong to this world. Because you're still thinking in this world's way of thinking. And Jesus was trying to move us on to thinking according to his kingdom. And because you still think as if you belong to this world, you are still thinking like you are infants in Christ. Why? Paul then goes on, for you are still controlled by this sinful nature. How does it manifest itself? You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Paul says that that is a symptom of still belonging to this world and being an infant in Christ. 
Paul reminds the church in Rome of the same thing. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's called illusory superiority. It happened in the first century. Don't think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So wash feet. Or, how can it be summed up much better than 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul simply says, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It washes feet. That's what so exudes off of Jesus is that there's no arrogance, no boasting in Jesus. He washed feet. And as John says, it showed the full extent of his love and that he was willing to wash feet. Love is demonstrated by how we serve one another in the most basic and ordinary ways by washing feet. So let me close in the tradition of Jesus with a parable. Once upon a time there was a lily who stood alone in a field with only small flowers and nettles all around it. The lily was well loved by these flowers because he graciously served them with the shade and the company that he gave them. The lily was happy in his situation until one day a bird flew by and filled the lily's head with tales of more beautiful lilies and another field far away, growing in masses. And the bird whispered in the lily's ear and said, you belong with those lilies. Your beauty may even far surpass the beauty of those lilies. There you will be looked at by all the other lilies and you will be admired. Why stay here alone and serving nothing but these weeds that are all around you? Well, as the lily kept listening to the bird, he became more and more discontent with the situation that he was in and wished to be magnificent among all those other lilies, just like the bird described. And so finally, when the bird flew by one day, the lily said to the bird, please take me to be with all those other lilies in that field that you were talking about so there I can shine among them and not simply be here serving these weeds like you talked about. And so the bird agreed and flew down and plucked the lily out of the ground and flew over to that other field and dropped the lily amongst all those other other lilies. But because the lily did not take root, it wasn't long before he withered and died. To those who have ears to hear, listen up.